Today is a day where we have a lot of different things happening. Um, we are also concluding a series, on, a summer series on the book of Ruth. So in case you have a Bible with you or you have one on your phone, Ruth is that tiny little book, four chapters, um, right between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel in uh, the Old Testament. And I was thinking about that song that we just sang, and the question that popped into my head is, does the world know that we are Christians by our love? And if not, what does that say? Because we like to get down on the world, but really it's we who have to take that first step. Does the world know that we are Christians because of the love that should be overflowing and pouring out of us, all because of the love that God has for us and has already shown to us. One of the things that happened this week at Unite was they had each speaker come up and give kind of three facts about them, like three interesting facts. And so I decided that I'm not going to do that because we talked about sometimes we want to be uh, contrarian or if, if we had a particular uh, group devotional, sometimes we wanted to do the opposite. Like if they wanted you to come up with a funny group name and then shout it out, we decided to whisper it out just to be a little bit different. What was the name of our, what was the name of our group? The Irresponsibly Green Chinchillas. And, not, and we also made, we made a meme of it. So we'll hopefully we'll, we'll, put, we'll get that up on the screen when we talk more about Unite going forward. But one of the things that I want to talk about today is legacy. And the question to open our time this morning is, what legacy are you building? Many of you have heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. That when we leave this earth... We leave. From dust we were born, and to dust we shall return. We can't take it with us. But what we do leave behind is a legacy of some sort or fashion. And for people of faith, the most important legacy we leave behind is the legacy of faith that we have shown by who and how we are. And the, the hard part of that is we never know how that will manifest itself in the people around us, whether it's your children or your grandchildren or the friends that you have influenced by how and who you are as a child of God. When someone sneezed at our conference, you can imagine almost a thousand teenagers shouting out in unison, bless you, and everyone had a wonderful experience with that. <laughs> it was super fun. If you believe in and follow Christ, then what impact has Jesus made upon your life that will form the legacy of faith that you will leave behind? See, what we leave behind is not about whether your family or other relatives will get the house or any money if there is some, or even a few little things like what I brought this morning. Each of my grandmothers liked a different animal. And so my grandma Pat really loved owls. And so when she passed away, each one of us grandkids got to choose an owl from her collection. So this is the owl that I got in 1991 from my grandma Pat. And this is, this is obviously very important to me. I've, 
kept it all these years. And my grandma, the, my grandma Joyce, the artist, she liked frogs. And so she made this little frog, and so when she passed away, I got a frog from her collection, 2018. And this is part of their legacy, but again, these are just a few things. They're more things that just remind me of them. They're sentimental. Yeah, that's a good word for it. But when I see this, what this actually reminds me is the various art that my grandma left behind. And some of the art that I discovered that I didn't know about had a lot to do with her faith. She wasn't the most open person about sharing in super vibrant ways, like, I love Jesus. But she let that come through through her art, and that was part of the legacy of faith that she left behind. And knowing how important it was to have that strong core of faith. What legacy are you building? This is the question that we seek as we work to build and experience deeper and stronger relationships in our lives. Each of, our, each of you is already living out a piece of your legacy, whether you know it or not. Who we are in here, inside, is how we live out there, outside. We know that all the things that we do externally that people can see are often first born by what is being constructed within us or the things that we've learned or are growing in. Some of the things that we leave behind are meaningful, like these two items up here, the owl and the frog. They help or they remind us of the past. But it is only our spiritual inheritance that will have the potential for an eternal legacy in the people or the other people in your life. It's a lasting impact. Bless you. We're going to start doing that almost every time now. I open, I open that can of worms for us all. We see this lasting impact, a legacy of faith in the lives of people that we impact. And sometimes we never get to see it because it happens far after we are gone. We see a little bit of both actually in Ruth chapter 4. That's the chapter we're going to be in today. And as we conclude this series, I want to end... I'm going to read the chapter in two parts for us, but I want to end with four relational commitments that we can or should be encouraged to make. Steps that we can make in those significant relationships that we want to build deeper and stronger. A couple weeks ago, I asked you to think of that one person that you really would love to build a deeper, stronger relationship with that is God-centered. Maybe you think of that person as we go through the rest of this morning. These four relational commitments are both personal and they are communal. And these are the types of commitments that will help build a strong core in you. And that will bind your heart to others as you seek to live this out in the world. What legacy are you building for your children, for your grandchildren? for your spouse or grandparents, for your siblings, for your friends, for your coworkers, yes, even for your Facebook buddies or Instagram social media following, followers. 
We all will make many mistakes, but I want to encourage you today as you're seeking to develop those relationships in your life, do not allow the fear or shame of past failure or the present realities that you are encountering to dislodge you from the thing that God is calling you to do. I was so inspired this week by, those, by our teens and by the over 900 teens that were there to see that God both values you and has a plan and purpose for you, and it's not something that comes way later, it's for right now. And to see the church stand up, or in some, sometimes our case at different times, to sit down and worship was inspiring to me. And I hope that it's inspiring to you. If you haven't had the chance to go on our Facebook group, uh, scroll back and look at a couple of the worship videos. I know Karen also posted some pictures. Um, take a look at just a, just a little taste. Take a taste and see that the Lord is good, and it should give you great confidence in what God is doing today and for the future in, the, in his church. Don't let past shame or fear or failure dissuade you from what God has you building right now. Today can be a new day for you. Let me read the first half of Ruth 4, verses 1 through 12. This is right after Boaz, or Ruth, has gone back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz said he has to take care of a few things. And one of the roles that he has in the extended family is that term called the family redeemer. And that was something that God had instituted as a way or a protective way to care for people in need, especially if you were a widow in the family. It was a way to provide and ensure that you had a future and that inheritances, especially your spiritual and family inheritance, would pass on. So this is what happened to Boaz. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, that's the mother-in-law, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am next in line to redeem it after you. Now this guy is another family, extended family member that they didn't know about before, but Boaz knew about him. And he had kind of a, he was like first in line to help Naomi and Ruth out. But so far, all he knows about is the land. So if someone approached you and said, I've got this land, and you have an opportunity in your family, and you're going to get a great deal. You know, how does he respond? He says, all right, I'll redeem it. You can think, hmm, okay, that seems like a good idea to me. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. Remember, Moabites were enemies of Israel. 
So suddenly this guy's like, oh, I didn't realize there are conditions on this land deal. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. (laughs) Don't worry. I sprayed it ahead of time. You you don't have to smell it. It's, it's It's really okay. It's really okay. I thought about my flip-flops, but they haven't quite recovered from the trip yet. All right. It was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So when you handed that sandal to the other person in the presence of witnesses, it was like signing a contract that we have all agreed to this thing. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, that was Naomi's husband, Kilian, and Malon. Those were the two husbands of the two daughters-in-law that also died earlier in the story. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. The first commitment the first relational commitment that we can make. And we see this pop all up through the book of Ruth. I will love you. Without this foundational commitment in those relationships in our life, almost nothing else is possible. We've said before that, and a couple weeks especially ago, that love is more than just a, a roller coaster set of emotions even though emotions are involved with it. That love is a relational word, and it's a choice that we make. We choose to continue or remain in love. It's a series of choices in how we act towards other people. And without love, just as we sang, how will the world know that we have been changed by the greatest power this world has ever seen, the power of God in Christ. Throughout Ruth, we see this commitment of love play out in so many different ways. I will love you. In spite of your past or what happened before, I choose to love you now. 
We know Ruth was a foreigner from an enemy of Israel. She grew up worshiping foreign gods. She had different customs and cultures. And the people of God that had remained in Israel, they had been warned not to intermarry with Moabites. And then all of a sudden, God is saying, watch this. I'm going to do a new thing here. Don't get so hung up on what has happened before. We see Ruth make a choice. She chose to leave all that she knew, all that she had grown up with, bless you, and to turn her life to follow the Lord. At the very beginning of the story, what does she say? Your gods, your God will be my God. Where, I, where you go, I will go. And she told her mother-in-law this. Where you die, I will die. I'm willing to give it all up to go with you. And God now directed her on the path of love. The rest, as we say, is history. 2 Corinthians 5 declares that Christ's love is what now controls us. Nothing else. It is Christ's love. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This is exactly what we see in Ruth. Not only did she literally turn from Moab and make the trek to Israel, but that was one of the words we we learned during the week, was the word repent. That at the heart of repentance is turning from what was before and turning to the Lord God Almighty, however or whatever that looks like. Ruth embodies that. The old is gone, the new has come. So my question to you is, what new life, what new beginning do you want to live today in the relationships in your life? Think of that one person that you thought of a couple weeks ago. Maybe it begins with asking for forgiveness or to make amends for the hurt that you have caused or whatever it takes to commit in love to a new beginning in your relationship today. I will choose to love you. Whenever we're around people, we are affected. Sometimes we're affected in very great and dramatic ways. Ways that we can't always explain or even control. I was around almost a thousand teenagers this week. Yeah. Other times, people will ignore you. Some will hurt you. Some will try to dislodge you or draw you from the path that Jesus has you on. And others will help and work with you. We will always be affected by the people around us. We encounter many problems and challenging circumstances. We have issues with communication. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? We have problems with expectations. We have problems that involve finances. We have issues that touch on moral issues. We have health issues. All of these things affect our relationships in this world. And the commitment to love is especially difficult when facing challenges like these or others in our lives. It's easy to love another person in your life when things are going great. It's when things get really messy that it becomes a whole lot harder. 
Ruth made this commitment to her mother-in-law. And you can imagine when Naomi said, I am empty, I have no one, and Ruth was standing right next to her, how much that probably hurt Ruth. And yet in that moment, somehow, through the power of God, I don't know exactly how, but she was able to stay connected and continue to choose to love Naomi. Even though Naomi had turned from one whose name, what was her original name? It meant pleasant one. And what did she want to be called after all these bad things that happened to her? Bitter one. She wanted to be renamed. I would not recommend that name change for any of us today. And yet, Ruth sticks by her. Friends, this is the same commitment that Jesus has made for you. I choose to love you, even though you may leave me, you may betray me, In fact, I'm willing to die for you. I love you so much. Choosing to love you in spite of all the ways that we reject the Lord. Jesus knew that you were worth so much that he would die in your place in order to demonstrate God's surpassing love for you. That's why this is probably the the most important commitment we can make in our relationship with God and with all of the important relationships in our life. I will love you. The second one, it's on the back of your bulletin as well. I will be an example. Or another way to say it would be, I will walk in God's ways. I will be an example. Or if you want to add a little extra word, you could, I will be, because we can be a good example or we can be a bad example. So maybe we want to put a little asterisk and say, I want to be a godly example. In verse 11 and 12, because of how Boaz chooses to live and walk in God's ways, it says he's a man of standing, he's a man of faith, we actually see the community respond because of who and how Boaz lives his life. What do they do in in this chapter? It says they come together And they actually ask the Lord to bless him in this effort. It says, May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper. May you be famous. May the Lord give you descendants who will be like those of our ancestors who walked in the ways of God. Remember what time in the history of God's people that we are in? It says, Everyone did as they saw fit. People were not walking in the ways of God in this time. So for the community to acknowledge that this guy is an outlier among us and then actually ask the Lord to bless him gives, should give you great confidence that this is what the Lord wants and desires for all of us as well. No matter who and what is going on around you, no matter what people are doing, we are called to be an example and walk in the ways of God. And you know this as well as I do. This is hard. You will be tested every single day, multiple times a day. Those of you that have different people in your household, those are usually the people that will test you the most, and at different times. Boaz walked with God and was an example. He had a reputation for it among everyone who knew them, whether they were near or far to God. 
Earlier in the book, we saw him confess faith in God unashamedly, both in how he interacted with the people who worked for him and in the ways that he provided for Ruth. He lived his faith openly, and this is the legacy that will be passed on through his connection, he and Ruth, together. This is also true for you and me, that whatever seeds are growing within you, this is part of our theme this week as well, what do seeds do when they start to grow properly? At first they, they sprout. And if you continue to nurture that sprout, then eventually the word is bloom. They will start to bloom. This is what we live for and what we will pass on, our legacy of faith. We will put down roots. Yeah, that was one of our other words. It was kind of a cool, you would have loved the theme. It was, all, it was a very much a growing theme. You might not like what you see in the mirror right now. Your walk with Jesus might not be what you want or hoped it would be. The example you are living may not be the legacy you desire to leave. But the good news is that all is not lost. The word says, whoever's in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is come. Today can be a new day, a fresh start. All that has happened before does not have to direct what happens from this day forward. The relentless love of God, and you can take that step of faith today, you can make that commitment to be new or to start afresh or anew in the relationships in your life, to be a godly example and to walk in God's ways. And when you inevitably fall, as we all do, then you can ask the Lord God to forgive you and you can stand up and walk again. Commit to him. Maybe it's a simple for you as praying a prayer today. God, help me to walk with you today and be an example to dot, dot, dot. My kids, my grandkids, my friends, my coworkers, my struggling friend, my sister, my parents. I will be an example. Third commitment. I will build you up This is kind of one of those no-brainers in the Bible. I will build you up. Many times in the Bible it talks about our role as followers of Christ is to work to build people up, not tear them down. Love desires to build others up and bring out the best in them, to see the potential that God sees and to encourage that to grow. It's really hard to build people up when what's in here is not running at peak optimum efficiency. When our heart is not quite open enough, it's difficult to build people up. That's why the book of Ruth is such a great book, because we see this all throughout this book, especially in Ruth's relationship with her mother-in-law. We see Ruth act in love and loyalty, and she faithfully stands with her family in spite of it all. We also see it in the life and actions of Boaz. He consistently builds Ruth up. He goes above and beyond what the law prescribed for him to do in helping others who were in need. He actually, we've seen this before, he actually left extra food for her. He made sure that she was safe. He went above and beyond his duty as a man of God. 
because of who God had made him to be and because he committed to being the best that he could be. Both Ruth and Boaz are, they're the kinds of people that you want to be around. They are the builders and the encouragers, not the destroyers or the heartbreakers. They're the opposite of toxic. Ruth comes to town as an immigrant, a foreigner, and a widow. Many of the people would regard her as low or they would ignore her. But what they didn't know is that she was already a person of strong character. And she was a new faithful child of God. They just didn't know it yet. But Boaz saw it. And because of who Boaz was, he responded as well. Boaz encourages and elevates her status. And Ruth willingly received his protection and his provision. And now here at the very end of this story, they cement the relationship that God is leading them to build. See, Boaz somehow was able to see beyond what everyone else saw. He saw the person that God was already creating her to be inside. And she, likewise, for him. Who is God leading you to build up in the key relationships of your life? Who is the Spirit prompting you to encourage to be and become the very best that God has created them to be? See, we want to be the best that God has for us, but we also want to be encouraging others because we know that God has much more in store for them as well. It's this both-and approach, both us and in the people that we are around. Now, I would imagine, like you, we don't always do this very well. I know I don't. I can always do better. But that shouldn't stop us from making that commitment to be better. To continue to make these commitments in our life. And this leads to the very last one that I want to just touch on this morning. And it's this. I will work or help to restore you. And I would add, when you fall. And friends, this is perhaps the hardest one of all. This is the one that we don't want to do all the time. Restoration after brokenness. And I do need to make a little aside or a caveat. There are some relationships in your life where you will not be able to do this and you might not, it might not be good for you to do this if it is a particularly dangerous situation. So just keep that in mind as well. In our story, we actually start to see restoration in Naomi. Up to now, the legacy that she was living was bitterness. She was the kind of person that you don't want to be around. Bitterness infects you, and it infects the people around you. She stumbled mightily, but she was shown love by the people around her. And eventually, her faith and future was restored, as we see in the last part of chapter 4. You see, each of you in your own lives know that you and those you commit to will make mistakes. You will sin. Stumbles will come and disappointments will be realized. And the decision or choice we will each need to make is, will I or can I help restore those I have committed to when they fall? 
And it's the same kind of thing that when we fall, we hope those who have committed to us will help us as well. Now, committing to restore other people and help them doesn't gloss over the past. It doesn't excuse the past. It says, I commit to restoring you. I hold you accountable for your actions, what you've said or done. I will choose to forgive you. And this is not easy. There was one young man this week we were encouraged to think of someone to forgive and to write that down. And there was one young man who shared that he actually wrote three names down. One that he wanted to forgive. And two, he was very honest. He said, I don't think I'm quite ready to forgive yet. And I think that that was a very honest, I was glad he said that because it was a very honest thing. You might be on the pathway to forgiveness of someone in your life, but you may not be there quite yet, and that's okay. Let me read the last part of chapter 4. How does God work out his plan? Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has, better, has been better to you than seven sons. What a statement that is. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own, her little grandbaby. Those of you that have held a little baby, you know what that feels like. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. Remember, her two sons had died. And they named him Obed. You, like, you know that I like telling you about what the names mean. Obed means one who serves. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez, remember we talked about these long uh, uh, genealogies and sometimes they're hard to get through. This one is the one that's super important. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. How do you like that name? Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And we know who David was, one of the greatest, the greatest king of Israel. Not only is Naomi not alone, she is restored to a hopeful future with family who will help and walk with her. And 16 generations, her descendant will become Jesus, the one who came to serve. Just like his ancestors 16 generations before Obed, the one who serves. You think God has a plan? Come on now. You can't make this up. 
Friends, God cares about our relationship commitments so much that he made the ultimate commitment to us. He looked at us and he said, man, what a big, crazy family you all are. You are worthy of my love and being saved. I love you that much. You might have a big, crazy family too. Are they worthy of your love? Are they worth saving? Are the people in your life worth it? No matter how much it hurts, no matter how many times they have harmed you or hurt you, how will you respond? It might look different for different people. I pray that you ask God to refresh and fill your heart with his love so that you can experience a new beginning for those key relationships in your life. For each of us, today can be a new day. It is a new day. May God bless you and strengthen you in this greatest work you can be involved with, that legacy of faith that you leave, one step at a time. Amen, friends, let's pray. God, I thank you for your amazing plan that you orchestrated from the beginning of creation. And that even when things got dark and grim for a while, and we didn't see that there was a way through, that you provided. You made a way where there seemed to be none. And ultimately, you sent your son. Because you said, we are worth it. We are worth it. God, I pray for each person here today. I know that many here have that one or two significant people, those relationships in our life that are definitely not easy right now. I pray that you will give us the strength to make the appropriate commitments that are necessary. The commitment to love, or maybe it's to forgive, or maybe it's uh, that you need to commit to giving some time or other energies. God, will you gift and enable each person here to do and be the people that you have called them to be? You love us so much. May we help love those around us as well. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. The church said amen.